quickly. Well, today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. We're going to read this in the ESV. There are ESV Bibles under your chairs if you're joining us in person. And if you're joining us online, um, it might be kind of hard to read the scripture. We project it. Um, but if, if it's kind of hard for you to read, feel free to find the scripture on your own, your own Bible or Bible app. And we... Um, invite you to stand uh, once you're ready to read the scripture. You can do this if you're joining us at home, too, if you feel comfortable. But for those who are here in person, if you could please stand as able once you're ready to read the, the, uh, God's word for us today. And again, it's Matthew six thirty-three. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. It's a short one, I know. (laughs) And the reason why it's kind of a short one is it's going to be kind of a little bit of a survey message this morning. We're going to be looking at different passages, um, and we are starting a new sermon series um, uh, uh, today uh, that's called Seek First, and we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God. I just want to kind of warn you, kind of disclaimer up front, if you have been in LGM for a number of years, I'd say like more than two years, some of the things I'm going to talk about today are going to be a little bit familiar to you. They're going to be things that maybe you've heard before. But my prayer is that even if you've heard some of these things before, that it'll hit you in a different way, that it'll be fresh for you this morning, and that it'll remind you and encourage you of maybe some of the things that we've kind of forgotten in our hearts. And so, yeah, that's my prayer as we talk about the kingdom of God. And so just want to kind of recap where we've been. We uh, started our, our year talking uh, in the, the Old Testament, preaching in the Old Testament about um, this idea that God desires to make us whole because the world has been broken by sin, right? And so we have been talking about these different themes. And where all of this has been leading us is to Jesus, and so uh, right, right before the new year, we talked about this, this idea that Jesus is the word of God. He is the logos. He is the grand plan that God had for all of creation. And it is found in Jesus. And so everything that came before was a little bit of a sneak preview, right? Everything was leading to the fulfillment that we find in Jesus. So that's a bold claim, right? We've all been leading to this. This is a really big deal that Jesus has come. And so you got to ask yourself, okay, then what does Jesus say, right? We've been waiting for this moment. He is the logos. He, is, he knows the mind of God, right? He is the son of God. He has the Holy Spirit within him. And so the question that I have is, what is the message that Jesus taught us? And you might be thinking to yourself, well, Pastor Steve, that's really hard to sum up. There's so much that Jesus said. And that's definitely true. But if I were to put you on the spot right now, I don't know, maybe give you $100. If right now you could stand up and give me in one sentence, what do you think Jesus' central message is? What would that be? Would it be something about the forgiveness of sins? I mean, you wouldn't be entirely wrong. But I would argue it's not entirely that. If I just had to give one sentence, it may not be that. It's part of it, for sure. Is it about his love? It is about his grace? Well, yeah. But I don't know that that would be 
completely just the, the, the entire sentence, what would it be? Maybe some of you are like, Pastor Steve, I'm going to need a run-on sentence, right? You know, it's like, Jesus came to love us, and he died on the cross, and he came to do this and that. And, but friends, I, I, I want to try to actually show you what Jesus' central message is, right? Because I think sometimes we don't know what the story is about. And if we don't know what the story is about, what Jesus came to preach centrally, most importantly, his central message, then I think we might be talking about things that could be good, possibly, but would be kind of missing the point. Let me try to illustrate this by, um, this is an example that N.T. Wright used when he was talking about the message of Christ, is that, you know, imagine that you have like a, a big painting, uh, and, and actually, I'm going to just choose a random painting that I found. And, and if you look at this painting, what, what would you say this story is about? What would you say? I mean, this isn't meant to be like a, a trick question. What, what does it look like? Just generally, like one word. War. War. Okay, good. It's like a battle. So, some people are very confused. And there's a lot going on in, in this picture. That's part of the reason why I picked it. And there's some people who are... Partially naked, I, th- I thought the picture would be far enough and blurry enough that it wouldn't distract you too much. It's art, though, right? It's <laughs> but so, yeah, I think it's about war. It's about, like, some kind of battle, right? But can you imagine that we just kind of, like, focused only on one little part of this picture, like this? Would, 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 if you just saw this... What would you say this story is about? Now, this is a freaky-looking baby, but it's like this woman is either, like, saving the baby or maybe she's trying to toss the baby up or (laughs) I don't really know what she's trying to do. But this is a very different... If this is all you saw, you wouldn't necessarily know that it's a battle, right? You would probably get the story wrong, right? Now... Uh, am I telling any lies if I say that there, there's, uh, you know, a woman holding up a baby? Of course not. But I'm kind of missing the point, right? I'm missing the forest for the trees. And I wonder, I wonder if sometimes when we read scripture and when we hear the gospel, and even when you read the Bible, that you pick it up and you read it, that you're confused. Because maybe you picked up a passage and you read about something that doesn't have to do with the central message. Or how about this? You read a a part of it, and it doesn't make sense to you because you don't know what the central message is. Maybe somebody told you a version of it, but when you start reading it for yourself, you're like, wait, this doesn't make full sense, right? Now, just to kind of like bring the point back home, (laughs) so again, that's the the full picture, right? But we could just zoom in on this, right? (laughs) It's like, oh, the story is about objects that look like animals. Well, of course not, right? It's like a standard-bearing thing, you know, for these people who are going into battle, right? But you wouldn't know that if you looked at that. Now, imagine that you have someone talking about the story, and they're like, oh, yeah, it's a story about objects that look like animals. And then you get other people who are like, no, 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 it's a story about babies being saved, right? And then you start talking to each other, and it's like, You know, people are like, no, no, no. But in the Bible, they talk about this. And someone else is like, no, no, no. In the Bible, they talk about this. And isn't this what happens today, right? Across denominations, across different traditions, across different churches. There are certain people that they have their favorite passages and they preach on those, 
right? And all the ones that kind of confirm that. And when you hear the pastor speaking, he has a way of kind of like twisting it to make it just fit that theme that he wants to talk about, right? And then when you go to read the scripture yourself, you're totally confused. Because you're like, wait, wait, wait. I thought this was a story about babies being saved. But when you read the story and it's all these things about battles, you're like, I don't know what to do with that. So you get confused. I think some of us, we actually don't want to read the Bible. We, we have no interest in it because it doesn't make any sense to us. And I want to say that for me, this is the way the Bible has been for me, especially when I read the Gospels, the first four books in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the ones that are about Jesus. Because I've been told all of these things about Jesus and about his message. But when I read it, I'm like, this doesn't match what I've been told. Right? It's actually very, very little of the, w- w- the ways that, that I was taught this in Bible study, the ways that I was taught this on Sundays from preachers, right? Uh, you know, talking about, you know, forgiveness and going to heaven, these kinds of things. It's actually not really a, a lot of it, right? So then the question is, what is it? What is this story actually about, right? And so, friends, we come back to Jesus. Okay, so let me show you, and I'm going to do something that I'm going to show you a tree, and then I'm going to show you the forest, okay? So the tree is when Jesus starts his ministry. When Jesus starts his ministry, we are told what his message is. It's right there. So if you look at the beginning of the Gospels, most of the Gospels will start with something like this. This is Mark chapter 1, right? First chapter. It says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God. The gospel just means good news. He's proclaiming this good news. And in the the ancient world, oftentimes there would be heralds who would come in and they say, I have a gospel. And they weren't talking about something religious. They were talking about good news, good news that would change the world. Oftentimes, because they didn't have the internet, because they didn't have newspapers, they would be talking about some great military battle or some emperor who has taken over your lands. And now there's new management. They're like, I have good news. I have a gospel, right? Emperor Tiberius is now your liege lord or whatever, right? And now you have to follow Emperor Tiberius, right? And so people were very familiar with this concept of a gospel. It's good news that's going to change the world, right? And this is what Jesus came. And this is his gospel, right? This is Jesus's gospel saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, turn, Turn from the way that you used to think, from the way that you used to live, and believe in this good news that the kingdom of God is at hand, has arrived. That's the message. That's Jesus' central message. Now, some of you are like, but Pastor Steve, you just showed me one verse. Okay, now, I wanted to do this thing. I've done this before. So if you guys have heard me preach on the the kingdom before, uh, you've seen me do this. So please bear with me. I want to show you just a quick word study. So I just cherry-picked four words, or just randomly picked four words that I think, you know, could be great themes in in the Gospels, okay? So if you just think about, like, like what is Jesus talking about, right? Because if it's his central message, he's probably going to keep talking about it again and again. He's not going to just mention it once, right? And so I picked these four words, grace, right? We're called living grace ministry. Grace is kind of a big deal, right? Love, I mean, love is, right? Like, we talk about that all the time, right? Love God, love your neighbor. It's a very, very big deal. Faith and kingdom, right? 
And so I want to show you how many times, how many verses these words appear. Because I, I did verses because this is something you can do in your own Bible app. You can just go into your Bible app, type that, and it'll show you the number of verses. But sometimes the words occur more than once in the verse, but it'll give you an idea of how much Jesus is talking about it. Okay? This is only first four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you just had to guess, some people, if you've seen me do this before, don't answer. (laughs) But how many times do you think the word grace would appear in the first four Gospels? Any guesses? Any thoughts? It would be a lot, right? Well, would it surprise you to know that it's only in three verses? And they're all in the Gospel of John. And it actually appears four times, but twice it's in the same verse. So three verses in the Gospel of John. Now, we're called Living Grace Ministry. Grace is a really big deal. Grace appears a lot more in the epistles, in the letters like Paul and different people wrote, right? Partially because it's Paul's greeting. He says, grace you know, be with you, right? Grace and peace be with you. He says that a lot, right? And so the word grace appears a lot more in the epistles, okay? Now, what about a word like love? Now, I have to preface this because love is, I didn't just look for the, the, the phrases that had like love, like loving God or, you know, uh, loving in this kind of religious sense, right? But it, it could even talk about like loving money, right? Or, or lovers of evil, right? Love is just a very general term. And in Greek, there are many different terms for love, right? So I just took all of those because in English, we don't distinguish. So how many times do you think that would occur? A general word like love. A lot more, right? And you're right, 76 times, okay? Then faith, right, which a lot of us are like, hey, faith is a big deal. It's a little bit less because it's not as a general a term as love, so 60. And then kingdom appears 120 times. So friends, I, I want to pause for a moment, okay? And maybe just for effect, I did this, and, and I've done this before. Uh, just for funsies, just so you can see the emphasis, like with your eyes, like in a visual sense, what I did was I took each of those words on the slide, on the actual PowerPoint, and then I just used the font size for each one of these words, just to show you emphasis, right? So for grace, it's going to be a three font. For kingdom, it's going to be a 120 font, and this is what it looks like. You can't even see grace. <laughs> it's so small, right? Love is pretty big, right? Faith is pretty big, Right? But look at kingdom. What is Jesus' central message? It's not even close, friends. It's not close. And this is the funny thing. I've been to church for so many years, right? And, and like maybe until I was like, well, I mean, now I preach the messages <laughs> at, at the church I go to. But at all of the churches I went to, you want to know how many times I heard the kingdom of God preached? Like a sermon on the kingdom of God? Zero. I didn't hear any. Did you? Maybe you heard about heaven, but not the kingdom of God the way that Jesus actually talks about it here, right? Because for, if it's heaven, then there's not much to say. This, this is kind of a, a cruel trick that people who were in power and they wanted to use the gospel for their own purposes. It's a very easy trick to pull. If you want to make the kingdom irrelevant, then you just make it after your death. Oh, yeah, yeah, kingdom of God. Yeah, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. But that happens after you die. So everything that we do here has nothing to do with the kingdom. But this is the problem with that, friends, is that 
Well, we have a couple problems. One problem is we don't know what a kingdom is because it's old language, right? When you hear about kings, you think about kings and queens, right? And we don't have that in America. So in modern times, it doesn't really make sense. And for some people throughout history, especially European history, they may not have liked the, the kingdom kind of language, especially if you were a king. If you were a king and you wanted people to follow you, what would you emphasize? Would you emphasize that Jesus is the king and they should follow Jesus above you, the king? Of course not. So they did a nasty little trick. You know what they did? They made the kingdom of God after death so it has no, no impact on your life here. Oh, yeah, 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 you'll go to heaven, right? Yeah, yeah, be good. Yeah, believe in Jesus, right? And you'll go to heaven, you'll go to the kingdom of God after you die. But the fact that Jesus won't shut up about it makes me think it's a little bigger deal than what we're making, right? What, what, what do you have to talk about for 120 different verses, right? Why is this your central message? And so, friends, I, I'm going to show you, again, it's very similar to what you saw in Mark, but I want to show you. I'm not cherry-picking. This is the beginning of Jesus' public ministry in Matthew, exactly the same as Mark. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, I want to show you a little bit. So when you saw in Mark, if we go back here, right? So uh, if you you see in Mark, right, it says the kingdom of God, right? The kingdom of God is at hand. And what I learned in seminary was that um, Matthew was a a more kind of, he was writing for a Jewish community and using the word God would have been kind of like, like sacrilegious. You guys remember we were talking about the whole like holy name of God, the Yahweh, right? You wouldn't even write it down. And so the, the theory was they just substitute the word God for heavens because in all of the other gospels, they say kingdom of God. But because it's a more Jewish audience, they say heaven, right? But I read this book by Dallas Willard that completely changed the way that I view uh, this idea of, of, of heaven. And one of the things that he pointed out, which is absolutely true if you look in the Greek, it doesn't say kingdom of heaven. It says kingdom of the heavens, plural, right? We know what heaven is. Where, what is heaven? That's where God lives, right? That's his realm, right? I, I mean, for ancient people, they didn't know where that was. They didn't understand metaphysics, right? So they just looked up and they're like, God's somewhere up there. He's in the sky, right? And so the word for sky is the same as the word for the realm of God. God isn't up there necessarily any more than he's here, but that's what ancient people believed. So whenever they talked about the realm of God, they would say the sky, right? And we have a word for that, heaven, singular. But what Dallas Will was pointing out is when you say heavens, in that context, it could have meant anything above the earth because they believed in this kind of like tiered thing. Have you ever heard of like seventh heaven, Right? So this idea was you had different tiers of, like, the atmosphere, of skies, right? So what what Dallas Willard thinks is that when you say kingdom of the heavens, you're saying God is the king everywhere. That's what kingdom is. It means the king's rule or reign. Um, uh, There's a, a Franciscan priest, Richard Rohr, who thinks that we have so misunderstood kingdom of God that instead of saying kingdom of God because we just think that's heaven, he says the reign of God. 
right? God being in control. That's what we're talking about. If God is completely in control, that is God's reign. And to further emphasize that they're not talking about heaven after you die is Jesus saying, it is at hand. I don't know why they did this. I I would like to think that the Bible interpreters and translators, that they're honest people and they weren't doing this on purpose to make it confusing, but we don't know what that means at hand, right? What it means in the Greek is simply it's arrived, it's come, right? They already believed in the kingdom of God. You think that was news, good news that's going to change the world? Hey, God is king, and people will be like, yeah, we know, right? Yeah, when you die, you're going to see him. They're like, yeah, we know, right? That wasn't news. You know what was news? The kingdom of God is here, right here. Now it's coming, and it's arrived. It's in breaking into this world. That was revolutionary, Because people would look around and be like, really? You sure? Because I look around this world and it's jacked up. The people back then, they were ruled by Caesar. They were ruled by Rome, right? And they're like, this doesn't look like the kingdom of God, bro, right? This looks like the kingdom of Rome, right? And so this was the revolutionary message, right? Did you ever wonder why there's so many healings in the Bible? Why, why, Why did Jesus heal so many people? It's not something you see every day, but with Jesus, it happened all the time. Why? He was trying to show his mastery over even nature itself, over the human body, over the forces that govern all of us. That's how powerful he is. He's trying to show you something new is happening. And it's so new and so wonderful and so different that even people who die don't stay dead. Even people who are blind, they don't stay blind. Even people who have shriveled limbs, those limbs come to life. It's a new thing. And people started getting excited because they're like, oh my gosh, this is different, right? God is really the king, and that king is here, and that king is going to rule right here, right now, right? And so, friends, um, I want to show you, this is uh, Dallas Willard's definition that someone gathered from some of his different sources um, And this is what they said about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is wherever God reigns, right? Does God reign in heaven up there? Of course. But what what Jesus was trying to tell us is God has come to reign here, right? It is present wherever what God wants done is done. It is the range of God's effective will. When God wants something done, it's going to be done, right? You guys have kingdoms. Did you know that? right? You learn that when you're a kid. Your kingdom oftentimes is your room. It always cracks me up when I go to someone's house and they have a young kid. And you look at their door to their room and it says, adults keep out, Ryan's room or something like that, right? What does that kid learn? That kid has learned the concept of kingdom, right? He didn't know. He didn't call it a kingdom. But that room is Ryan's kingdom. Mom, dad, stay out. This is my room. Right? When touch, someone touches your stuff, your, your brother, your sister, they take your stuff and you say, that's mine. Mine is a kingdom word, right? You stay out of my room. That's the, you're defining boundaries for your kingdom. This is where I reign. This is where what I want to happen happens, right? Where my brush and my toys and my things get used the way I want them to get used, right? And so God has come to say, I am the king, Right? So, friends, if you start to understand that, you you start to understand why this was threatening to people. Because our whole lives are about us being in control, right? We want to expand our kingdoms. 
This is why when you see people who talk about, you know, um, I don't know, politics and things like that, they're not preaching about the kingdom of God. No, because they don't want to give up power. They want to have the power. They want to be able to change things the way they want to, right? Not instead to say, no, God, your will be done. What you want to happen, you make that happen. And for us, and even for those of us who are just growing as, as you know, young adults or whatever, you're coming into your own. You want to be your own person. You want to be independent. You want to be able to do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. And so the kingdom is threatening to that too. But I'm telling you, right, I'm trying to convince you. This is what today's message is all about. I'm trying to convince you this is actually good news. And so... It says, Jesus' central message is that the kingdom of God is not far off and way later, but is immediately and directly accessible to us through him. The kingdom of God is the natural home of the soul. That statement is going to be the reason why this is such good news for a lot of us. I mean, for some of us, too, when we look at this world and we say, God, we want your kingdom to come. When we look at this world and there's war and famine and there's so much greed and just so many messed up things happening, right? I mean, definitely, we want our kingdom to come out there. But I don't know about you, but I also want God's kingdom to come in here. Because for me, and this is just, you know, the way the modern world is, most of us were in fear and anxiety almost all of the time. Because the worldview of this world is that there is no God. Sometimes we say that even Christians today, we live in what we call functional atheism. Functional atheism is you live as if there is no God. You live as if everything depends on you. You live as if this world is just random and all the things that are happening are just dumb luck, sometimes good luck, right? But you have no control over it. And, and it's so frightening and scary to live in a world like that, where you're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, something bad could happen at any time. At any time, me or a loved one could drop dead, and I have no say over that. At any time, some catastrophic accident could happen, something that is completely outside of my control. And so a lot of us, we live in almost a constant state of anxiety. Makes sense. It makes sense if this world is random and you can't do anything about it to be scared. But this is what Jesus is saying. The world is not random. The forces are not outside of, you know, control for everyone. It's outside of your control, but it's not outside of God's control. Why? Because God reigns. He reigns in the heavens, everywhere. He is in control. And we want God to reign our outer world and our inner world too. Sometimes when you look inside your own heart, in your own mind, your own psyche, it's not the kingdom of God in here, right? The kingdom of God would be a place where you are completely at peace, right? I use this picture sometimes to kind of illustrate what it would look like if you were living within the kingdom, not in like a zip code, right, a geographic place, but if the kingdom of God was inside you. Do you guys remember when Jesus was on the fishing boat and the storm rages up? And all the disciples are doing what? Are they like, oh, okay, cool. No, they're like, ah, we're going to die. We're going to die. They're trying to wake Jesus up. Why? Because Jesus is sleeping. Jesus is sleeping. That's the kingdom of God. 
That's the kingdom of God. Jesus isn't worried. Why? Because he knows God is in control, right? He can sleep through a storm. And then when he wakes up, he's like, oh, what are you guys going on about? They're like, Jesus, we're going to die. And he's like, storm, calm down. Storm calms down. Boom, just like that. Why? Because he's the king. (laughs) He's in control. His effective will affects all of creation. And so when you start to learn that, when you know that God is with you, this is what Dallas Willard says, one of the, the, the signs of living within the kingdom is no anxiety, no fear. Man, anxiety is an epidemic, right? We're, we're going to talk more about this in future weeks and how we live into that because that's what I want to know. But friends, I'm, I'm telling you, man, as I've been learning this, how to live more within this kingdom, to have the kingdom within you, to have that be your mindset, to have that be your functional reality. Man, it's changed everything for me. I've shared this before. I'll go into more detail in future weeks, or if you guys ever want to know. I used to have these paralyzing panic attacks. Felt like I was going to die. For me, learning to live within the kingdom, learning to have that reality inside of me, right? Um, It's not going to be enough to just say, hey, you're in the kingdom of God. You're like, oh, sweet. (laughs) You're going to need more than that. You're going to need to immerse yourself in this reality, right? For it to be like the air you breathe, for it to be like your environment. Because most of us, that's not your environment. Your kingdom is a kingdom of fear. Your kingdom is a kingdom of anxiety. Your kingdom is a kingdom of anger. That's what this world is about. I I was reading this thing. I was watching this um, uh, YouTube video, actually, and it was about this guy who um, is really into video games, because I like video games. <laughs> so I'm just watching this guy talk about video games. He's talking about one of his favorite things from this past year with video games was a magazine. I was like, magazine for video games? He's like, hey, stick with me for a second. He's like, have you ever noticed that when you go online and you go and you click on videos, almost all of them are designed to make you angry? Have you ever noticed that? Because if they can make you angry, you're going to be like, what? And you click. Because that's all they want. They just want your click, right? But with a magazine, they're like, we already have your money. We don't have to make you angry. So we're just going to give you the information. He's like, it's kind of nice <laughs> to just read a magazine cover to cover and not just to have someone just trying to manipulate my emotions all the time, just to get me to click or get me to do what they want, get me to buy what they're selling, right? But that's the world you live in. That's the world I live in. And we're in it all the time. Of course, you're going to be angry. Of course, you're going to be scared. Of course, you're going to be anxious. How could you not be? So we need to learn to live in this different way, in this different atmosphere, to immerse ourselves in this kingdom. And so then you'll start to understand when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. There have been decisions that are, are, need to be made um, in the United Methodist Church. And the United Methodist Church, for those of you guys who don't know, it's splitting. And there are some people who are like, oh my gosh, we got to go. We got to go. We got to leave. And we uh, at LGM, we have decided to stay. Not every church has decided to stay. It's fine, right? But for me, just for me, the way that I read these things, all the reasons to go are based on fear. It's based on uncertainty. Oh, what if it's worse? If we don't go now, we should go right now. I'm like, well, you don't know what's going to happen in the future. 
right? And so some people, uh, some churches, and, you know, this is their decision. If you're able to do this, great. They're paying, you know, tons of money to leave the United Methodist Church out of fear. And for us, we don't have the money. <laughs> we can leave anyways, right? So I'm like, why worry about it? We, we don't have the money, right? But why, you know, you know like, hey, we're going to get loans. We're going to bankrupt ourselves because it might be worse in the future. Friends, all of us, can you imagine the kind of decision-making that you make, maybe all of us make on a daily basis, if it's made out of fear, if it's made through anxiety? When you guys study, you're not just studying You're battling your anxiety and your fear. When we're meeting with the praise team beforehand and we're praying, almost everyone, their prayer request was like, oh my gosh, the future is uncertain. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, it is for everyone, all of us. We don't know what's going to happen. But in the kingdom of God, one of the beautiful things is you don't need to worry about that. Why? Because you have God who is holding your future. This is, is what it means to live in the kingdom of God is to say God is, is in control of all the outcomes. You know what you have to do? Live your life, right? Just live your life. Do the best you can, right? Follow what God is telling you to do right now. That's all you need to worry about, and there's great freedom in that. If you can study that way, I'm telling you, your studying will be better, right? Because you won't be so freaked out about the future. You'll just be able to be like, hey, I can't control that, right? Let's just put that out of our mind, and we're just going to do the best we can right now. Everything gets better if you're living out of the kingdom of God. How many people have made catastrophic decisions because they made them out of fear, right? Not just for churches, but for businesses, for families, right? How much better would it be if we lived in a place where no anxiety at all, We just know God is in control. You know it inside and out. And there is a great peace. There's a great joy that comes from that. And you know that God has you because he loves you. The kingdom of God is a place of love, right? Because that's why he invited you into his kingdom, because he loves you. And that invitation, man, it's for everyone. And so, friends, I just want to ask you. I know I've been asking this throughout the semester, but we got to go back. We got to go back to the notebook, What do you want? What do you really want? What do you want, friends? What do you want? What do you want? Do you want the kingdom of God? Because the more I learn about the kingdom, right, and this is why I wanted to take this time to explain to you what it was, to explain to you why this is important. Because if you don't understand what it is, you're not going to want it. If it's just something that comes after you die, you're going to be like, okay, cool. I believe in Jesus, and I'll, I'll, I'll see you when I get there, Jesus. Thank you very much, but I'm just going to live my life now. What difference does that make now? Of course, it can make some difference because you're like, hey, you know, I have a place for me, right? That's great, right? But Jesus wanted to give you more than that, not just a place after you die. You will have that too, right? But he wants to give you a place now, now, right? A place where you don't have to live in any fear. For me, friends, it has become so important that it is the thing that drives my decision-making. It is how I spend the first moments of my day, right? And I'm not doing it because someone told me, hey, you got to have a quiet time, you know? I used to do that out of fear. That's why I would have quiet times, so that people wouldn't look at me and be like, oh, you're a pastor who doesn't have quiet times, right? But now, man, it's I need to live in the kingdom of God. I need to be in that place where I'm not afraid, where I don't have that anxiety, where I know it's going to be okay. Do you know that feeling, friends? 
because I don't want to over-spiritualize this, but it is a spiritual thing, but you all have had moments, don't you? Haven't you had moments where you're just at peace, where you know you're loved, where you feel secure, right? Sometimes I, I describe this as like, like sleeping in the backseat of your parents' car, not worried, because you know mommy and daddy love you, and you have a, a slightly misguided, but you believe that you're completely safe, right? <laughs> you believe that they're not, like nothing bad can happen while mommy and daddy are there, right? But you believe that so completely that you can just sleep soundly, not worry. You can just be there, and you can just play, and you can just enjoy life, and you can just be in the moment. But when we become adults, we're like, no, I have to take care of everything. I have to be in control of everything. I have to be aware of everything. I have to, right, like make sure there's no threat out there that can get me, and it's exhausting, it's exhausting. I want to live in a different way, friends. Do you? So when you hear Jesus talk about the kingdom of the heavens, I mean, look at this. This is from Matthew 13. The kingdom of the heavens is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Friends, pff, that's amazing. I've always read that as, again, like, hey, you know, I would give anything to go to heaven, right? Friends, that's not what it's saying. Not only go to heaven after you die, but what would you give to have that kingdom reality now? And Jesus is saying it's worth everything. It's worth everything. It's the most valuable thing, right? If you found it in a field, you would give anything for it. Right? And so, friends, uh, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. It is the pearl of greatest prize. We are going to talk more in the coming weeks. We're going to spend a good amount of time on how you actually do this. We're going to give you practical ways to seek the kingdom. And and to help you to experiment, I want you guys to do this in your small groups because not everyone's going to seek it in the same ways. Right? If it was a formula, if it was just a, you know, something that we could give you that everyone could do these things, you know, for one, I think it just would become another law. It would become very legalistic. And all of us were different. We're all built just slightly different. Right? You're going to have slightly different versions of how you're going to do this. Right? And so one of the best ways to do this is in community with people who can, again, hopefully, start to create a kind of kingdom community a place where you'll feel safe to share those things, right? Where you'll be loved and supported as you also seek the kingdom. It's a beautiful thing about church. That's what it's supposed to be, right? We're supposed to be a kingdom, a a, a community that kind of emulates the kingdom, that sort of practices the kingdom on each other as we all individually seek the kingdom in our lives, in our jobs, in our school, right? And so it creates this kind of like comforting sort of like ecosystem that we can do all of this, right? And so, friends, um, I just want to kind of, yeah, leave you with this. Um, Leave you with a meme. (laughs) I think we gaze upon what we love, right? When there's something that you know is very valuable, you look at it. You can't stop looking at it, right? And so if if you guys are are listening to this in the podcast, it's that Wolverine meme, if you guys have ever seen that, where he's looking at a a photo and you can't tell what the photo is. But in the photo, I just, with my very, very bad skills, I just wrote kingdom of God in the photo. And that's what Wolverine's looking at longingly. And friends, you know, I think for a lot of us, we didn't know maybe that that's what we're supposed to be looking for, and so we haven't looked for it. But if you know, you know. If you know that this is the pearl of greatest prize, to think about it 
to want it, to desire it above anything else, to say, this is what I need. This is what I need to seek after. When you hear the stories about the kingdom of God, most of the parables, almost like, I'd say about half of the parables in Matthew start with Jesus saying what? The kingdom of God is like, right? They're trying to show you. He's trying to give you word pictures, right? For what the kingdom of God is like so you can visualize it, so you can desire it, so you can look at it. Friends, we pray it all the time. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in the heavens. This is what we pray for. This is what we desire. Let's, let's just take a moment, friends, before we go into communion today. Just think about what would your life look like if God was completely in control? If that were true, what would this world look like? What would our community look like? What would LGM look like? What would your school look like? What would your family look like if God was completely in control and you lived in an atmosphere of complete peace and love, knowing that God was with you, that God accepted you, that God was in control of all of the outcomes for your family, for your school, for your life, what would it look like? I know, at least in my family, there'd probably be a lot less yelling, right? There'd probably be a lot less sleepless nights. What would your studies look like? What would this church look like? This was a kingdom church. And God's will, what God desired in heaven, in the heavens, everywhere, his desire was happening right here, the way we treated each other, the way we loved each other. You know why we don't love each other like that? You know why? If I'm being honest, it's fear. We're afraid. We're afraid if we go up to a stranger and we talk to them, what if they think I'm a weirdo, right? What if it's super, super uncomfortable and I die of embarrassment? (laughs) It's not the kingdom of God, right? We need to learn how to live into that. And so, friends, I'm not saying we're going to get there overnight. But I just want to give you a little taste, a little vision, right? You can start imagining what this is going to look like. And as we do that, friends, maybe even just during our communion, you can think about that a little bit. What would our world look like if the kingdom of God was truly here? So friends, if you're joining us online, feel free to go get your bread or your juice. If there's anyone downstairs, you can come up and join us for communion. And um, just want to remind you, on the night that Jesus was betrayed and he went to the cross, he shared one last meal with his friends and with his betrayers. I mean, man, talk about kingdom freedom, right? He had this great freedom to do that. And he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is given for you. And also the cup. This is the cup of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of many sins. And he did that so all of us could join into that family, into that kingdom family, no matter what mistakes we've made. It's not about us being perfect, right? But Jesus paid the cost. It's very costly, but it was given in grace so that we could freely be part of his family. And so, friends, we're going to invite you up in a moment, and, and we'll talk about what that entails, but can we just pray 
over the, the bread and juice that it can become for us, the body and blood of Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that your son has invited us to the table, to fellowship, to the kingdom. And that kingdom is available. It was Jesus' message back then that was so needed and relevant. And it's still needed and relevant today, God. We need that. We need the kingdom. We need to know we are loved. We need to know that we are safe. We need to know that you are here, right here with us, reigning in our midst. And thank you, God, that you invite us to this table. God, we pray for the bread. We pray for the cup, that it can become to us the very body and blood of Christ and that it can serve as a reminder of just how much you love us and how you are incorporating us into your family, into your kingdom for all time. In Jesus' name we pray. And so friends, we are...